0: Um, for those of you that maybe don't remember prior to being so rudely sidetracked with COVID, uh, I was talking to you last about the fact that there are some people even Christians who live their whole lives like they are orphans or slaves instead of loved and valued sons and daughters of God. People uh, spend their whole life trying to prove that they're worth something by their performance. They, they try to perform good enough to be accepted and wanted, trying to find a place to fit in. And like Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live, some of you will remember that skit from years and years ago, they stand in front of their proverbial mirror and they say over and over again, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And they figure if they say it long enough and loud enough, maybe they will actually begin to believe it. But inside, they feel alone and like there is something wrong with them. And as I age, I become more and more convinced that the way to real security in terms of our identity doesn't come from the errs of life. You know what the ers are, right? Smarter, better, prettier, thinner. It doesn't come from being gooder. Our identity only becomes stable when it's in God himself and who he says we are. We last looked at this truth in Romans six fourteen, where Paul says Christians are not under the law anymore. That thing that's going to fill the void inside of our own souls isn't going to come by performing perfectly. But if Paul says we're not under the law anymore, that should lead to a logical question for all of us. What? place then does the law have in the life of a believer? Paul actually seeks to clarify that when he says in Romans 7:7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Or another translation would be, is the law bad or is the law unnecessary? And Paul's response was, God forbid, certainly not. Jesus himself address this very question in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, the Scripture says that Jesus was full, full, up to the brim with grace and truth. But all the people had known up to that point was the law. And yet, Jesus comes preaching, teaching, and demonstrating something quite different called grace. And so the people had a question. It's a question that, by the way, you and I all have. There's not a one of you in this room that if you're honest, you haven't wondered, what does grace look like as I'm living this life? When I'm faced with situations, how does grace manifest itself? Does the law have any implication for us anymore at all? And Jesus says this in Matthew 5:17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, everything that you know is gone, till that happens, one jot or one tittle, remember we talked before about a jot or a tittle is like a comma or an apostrophe in the Greek language. He says you won't even have a comma be gone until the law is completely fulfilled. And then in verse 19 he says, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, look back at verse 19. Look at that verse again. What does it say? It says that whoever breaks the law or teaches other people to break the law will go to hell, right? Is that what it says? What's it say? you'll be least in the kingdom. Well, if you're least in the kingdom, doesn't that by definition mean you must already be in the kingdom? So Jesus is saying that kingdom people still have some relationship to the law. And so today I want to talk to you very briefly about the relationship between the law and Christians. What is the purpose of the law For Christians, and part of the reason I'm doing that is that as I have lived my life, I have watched Christians tend to go to one of two extremes. Either they live lawlessly saying, nothing I do matters anymore because God loves me just as I am. Have you ever heard somebody say that? God loves me just the way I am. While they're doing something that they know and you know they shouldn't be doing. But it doesn't matter because God loves me. The other extreme is people who then say, I better learn how to keep the law perfectly. If I don't do everything that's there, then I'm in trouble with God. And so because of those two extremes, I wanted to talk to you briefly about just two. Just two. I started with five. I narrowed it down to two. Two purposes that the law has for every Christian. So number one, the law is our master. And I know you're going to love that one. Paul says in Galatians 3.24, Therefore, the law was our tutor. Or, where, where I got master from is from the King James Version. It says, the law is our school master. It says, the law is our master to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So, Paul says, the law is our master to bring us to Christ. Notice that it doesn't say once you come to Christ, the law is no more. It says clearly you aren't under the law, but the law is still there. And you understand what it means to be under something, right? So if somebody is under the weather, we, we basically are saying that they are dominated for that period of time by sickness. Sickness. Sickness has grabbed hold of their body, and they're under sickness. Like, I just got done having COVID. Uh, It was a wonderful party. I'm glad everybody came. Uh, Coughing, headache, tiredness, you name it. They all came to the party. I was under it for a time. It dominated me for the time. Even though I kept telling my wife, I don't have it. It still dominated me. Well, Paul is saying that we are no longer Under, we're no longer dominated by the law, but the law still has a purpose as a master or a tutor in our lives leading us to Christ. Now, let me put it this way. Growing up, I grew up in Waterloo, New York. Any of you guys ever been to Waterloo? A couple of you. Waterloo is a wonderful place, and I used to attend Waterloo Central School. And I lived out in the country. In fact, where I lived was the farthest point From the school system that was possible and to still attend that school in other words i lived right on the line between phelps and waterloo we chose waterloo so we would get on the bus in the morning while i was young before i got a license and drove but we would get on the bus and we would take a bus to waterloo elementary school but on the way we would always make a stop at a place called saint mary's catholic school and we would let the kids off but on the way to St. Mary's Catholic School, the kids would tell us all about their life in Catholic school. Now, did any of you ever attend Catholic school? Some of you, okay. I don't know what your experience was like, Andrew. But these kids would tell us and they would talk about Catholic school like it was literally the place from hell itself. They talked about these nuns who were like the Gestapo trying to exact as much pain as they could. And I want to suggest to you that in many ways the law is a lot like those nuns walking around with that ruler ready to smack your hand for every infraction that they perceive to be real. You see, until you come to a place where you realize and accept the truth that you can't find your place or feel worth in anything by just performing better. Until you come to the place where you realize that when I live that way, I'm going to end up either angry and railing against the law, or I'm going to become depressed and discouraged. Until you come to that place and you give up that ideal of I'm going to prove everybody that I'm worth something, until you come to that place and realize that I am who I am in God. He made me this way, and He has changed me and conforming to His image. But until you get to that point, you're going to live your life upset and like you don't fit in anywhere. Even though you might be a part of the party, inside you feel like I don't really fit. I don't really have a place. In a real sense, the law was intended, and I want you to get this, the law was intended to frustrate. And isn't that true in your life? No matter how good you do, don't you at times end up saying, yeah, but was it enough? Was it good enough? Did I do enough? for Him to be really happy with me? Did I stop doing enough for Him to be really happy with me? Until you get to a point where you realize that the law was intended to frustrate because no one could meet its perfect standards. But do you realize that the law actually is a reflection of God's character? The law is a reflection of God Himself. So the law isn't bad. The law is actually good from a good God. But it's intended to show us that outside of Jesus Christ, we can't do it. Every one of us is going to fail. We're going to fall short of the glory of God. The law was intended to frustrate us until we run to a Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ. It was intended to drive people to their Messiah, Jesus. So what's the law for? Well, before you're a Christian, the law said you can't do it perfectly enough, so you need a Savior. Once you become a Christian, the law says you can't do it perfectly enough, so you need a Savior. It's the same message. You need Jesus. You see, sometimes when we go through a trial, like in our family, Karen and I just went through COVID, you go through a trial, and in the midst of the trial, what when you're... At night, sitting on your couch because you can't sleep, because you can't stop coughing, every cough is making your head explode more and more and more. And in those moments, you say, man, this is killing me. I need Jesus now. I need him. But the implication of that comment is, I need Jesus more now because I have COVID than I did before I had COVID. But that's not true. I need Jesus every moment of every day. We used to sing a hymn, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Forget every hour, every second you need him. And the law is intended to drive you to God, to say, I need him. Every moment of the day, I need him. Um, I don't know how many of you guys remember your school experience. Uh, Some of you have tried to forget it, I'm sure. But I had a teacher whose name was Mr. Snyder. Uh, He was my uh, 7th grade math teacher. 7th grade. And in 7th grade, just like most of you guys, we went from teacher to teacher. He was my math teacher. And in 7th grade, Mr. Snyder, uh, he had an interesting style. I don't know if it was because in those moments maybe I wasn't paying attention. Maybe it was solely because I had fallen asleep in class again. But I can remember being awakened with an eraser hitting me in the head. Or a piece of chalk, one or the other. And usually he would take his chalk and put it in one of those holders. So when that thing hits you, it woke you up. And that wasn't enough for Mr. Snyder. He would then get in my face and tell me, what a lazy, no good, never accomplished, never worth anything student you are. And by the way, he didn't do it just for me. He did it for everybody. I can't tell you how many times he had girls crying in that class. For me, Mr. Snyder reminds me of, uh, remember the GEICO commercial about, it was something like this, I, I didn't go back and look it up, but I think it was something like this. Does a drill sergeant make a good therapist? Do you remember that commercial? Well, I wanna suggest that Mr. Snyder was a lot like that drill sergeant in that commercial. He's in your face screaming at you, saying you're not good enough. Now, what if you were in Mr. Snyder's class, but you heard that across the hall, there was another teacher who was teaching math at the same grade level. And you heard that that teacher was different than Mr. Snyder. That teacher actually seemed to like his students. He actually seemed to talk to them about what great students they were and how they were going to accomplish so much in life. He would stay after class. He would stay after school to help kids, teaching them in a way that even the simplest could understand, but the whole time telling them how much he really appreciated and liked them. Now, if you had Mr. Snyder and you heard about this other teacher across the hall, what would you be tempted to do? If you're like me, you would be tempted to ask for a transfer. I would rather sit under that teacher. Well, I want to suggest to you that's exactly what God did. The Scripture tells us in Colossians 1.13, <coughs> God transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. He took us out from underneath the tyranny of the fear of the law. We're going to look at that in a moment. And He actually transferred us into the kingdom of grace. That's why I entitled this message The Law of Grace. Grace works in every situation. We don't always know what grace looks like, but it works. When you see grace, when you hear grace, When you feel grace, you know it for what it is. So somebody says, can you define it for me? I say, no, but I know it when I hit it. Grace is that real. So the first thing that I want you to get is the law is our master. It's a master that leads us or drives us to a good Savior. The second thing is the law is a mirror. The law is a master. The law is a mirror. The law helps us to see our growth and progress under his grace. For example, and this is a personal example, but I've said to you guys all from the first day I came here, you get what you see. It doesn't get any better than this. I am who I am. But when I was a kid, uh, growing up in my family uh, with anger and violence that could disrupt at any point, just it, it could blow up the family. When growing up in that home, and then you would read books about other homes, or you would watch TVs like, you know, Father Knows Best and Leave it to Beaver, you began to live in an imaginary world. And I found that I ended up lying a lot as a kid. Lying was very common. I would lie to get out of trouble, but I would also lie to make myself look better. I don't know if you've ever done that, where you've exaggerated about yourself in some way in order to make the person you're talking to think more of you than what you thought of yourself. But I lied a lot, and then I became a Christian, and I still lied a lot. And then I became a pastor, and I still lied a lot. Oh, I would spruce it up a little bit. I would call it embellishments to make my sermon illustrations more exciting and engaging. You know, all my friends did it. I I knew that when they were telling me their stories, they weren't true. But they told the story like it was their story. And I would do the same thing. I learned well. I would exaggerate. And I would excuse it, saying, well, it's just an exaggeration. It's It's just a story. But I lied a lot. Then, walking with Jesus for a while... I came to the point where I experienced more and more of his love, of his grace, of his acceptance. And I found that I didn't want to lie anymore. In fact, I found that I didn't need to lie anymore because I didn't have to make people think better of me as much anymore. Because I realized that if the God of the universe thought I was okay, then maybe I was okay. But I didn't get there because I read the Ten Commandments, which says, Thou shalt not lie. I got there because I experienced the grace of God. And I find that now I don't lie as much as I used to. Now, do I ever lie? Yes, I do. I find myself still doing the same stupid stuff, and I'll say to my wife usually, what was wrong with me, what was I thinking? But all that means, and this is where the mirror comes in, when I look at my life I realize I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm not where I was. I'm still on a journey. I am making progress. I still have struggles at times, just like probably you have struggles at times. Maybe yours isn't lying. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's depression you struggle with. Whatever it is, we're able to look at our lives as it compares to God's perfection represented in the law, and we're able to look at it and say, I'm not all the way there yet but I'm on the way. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm not what I used to be anymore. I see the grace of God working in my life. Do I do it perfectly? No, but that's the nature of grace. He takes us where we are, and he brings us along on this journey. So now, I find myself at times, and you've heard me, if you've listened, you've heard me on Sunday mornings doing it. I'll say something like, oh yeah, they did it like 10 times, and I'll pause. I'll say, well, maybe not 10 times. That was an embellishment to make my story more fun. i said, eh, maybe not 10 times. Maybe, maybe it was once. <laughs> I even got to a point where I took this seriously enough, and I just said, God, I don't want this controlling my life. I don't want to be under the law. I got to a point where I would go to people and i say, what I said to you earlier isn't exactly right. And I'm sorry, this is the exact truth. Because I don't want to live under the domination of the fear of the law. I want to walk my life in grace. I'm not there yet, I'm on my way, and that's one of the purposes of the law for Christians. It's to let us know that we're growing and we're changing. We look at the law now differently. I used to look at the law as like a hammer. Thou shalt not lie. And when you would, the hammer would come down. Now I hear it quite differently inside of my soul. I hear it as a promise instead of a threat. I hear God saying, you're not going to because you don't need to anymore. You don't need to live your life afraid of what people think of you because I've already told you what I think of you. You don't have to live your life trying to get out of trouble. Because if you've done it, you're able to step up and say, I did it, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You don't live under the tyranny of the law anymore. But I want you to get this, and this is important. The law is a reflection for you, not for your spouse or your friend. In other words, it's really easy to take what God highlights in your life and impose that on everybody around you. Maybe, and I'll pick on Nicole because she's just sitting here, maybe Nicole, and I'm not saying she does at all. Please hear that. I'm not saying that. But maybe in this illustration, Nicole has the same problem I do. And God's dealing with me, but maybe God's not dealing with that in her heart yet. Maybe he never will, because maybe there's something more that God wants to get at in her than what he's doing in me. So you can't impose that. We do it all the time. We say things like, you know, good Christian men never swear. I got to tell you, I've met some really good Christian men who I've heard swear. I don't think swearing necessarily is the wisest use of your language, but I've heard Christians swear. Or we'll say things like this. Christian girls should never get tattoos. Oh. I'm picking on Nicole again. <laughs> we, 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 we impose things upon people as if somehow we have the right because God's dealing with us. No good Christian would ever vote Democrat. And by the way, I heard that again and again and again on Facebook, so I know it must be true because it's on Facebook. We take what God is dealing with us about, perhaps, and we try to impose it upon others. The law is a master leading us to a good Savior. The law is a meter, a mirror rather, reflecting how God's grace is working in us, but the law is not a machete where you use it to chop people up for your purposes. Law is a mirror reflecting back what God has done inside of us. Things that used to be problems. You find God has begun to deal with those things on our own heart and life. And now those things which were heavy-handed laws in our mind, never in God's, but in our mind, now our promises of what God has done in us. And even when you fail, it's not intended to cause you to walk with your head down, walking in shame and guilt. It's to continue to recognize that still, his grace is at work inside of you. Paul says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So that even in our failure, it's all of his grace. So, let me end with this example. Let's say there was a uh, made-up story, uh, a Bible school, oh, maybe an hour away, and for lack of a better name, we'll call it Elam Bible Institute in college. And let's say there was a student, a young student there at Elam, I don't know, give him a name, Chris, we'll call him Chris. And Chris was taking a course called Ethics from a professor, we'll call him Dr. Morris Smith. And in that course, we were going through a book, chapter after chapter on ethics. We got done with chapter one, and Dr. Smith said, okay, I want you to take this test, which is an essay. And so, he hands it all out to the students, and the students all take it. Well, Chris, being the brilliant student that he is, recognizes this is an ethics course. This is an ethics test. And he's giving us this test, and then he takes it one step farther, and he says, I want you to grade your own test. And Chris is thinking, okay, this is an ethical exercise. He's going to look at our grades to see where we are really hard enough on ourselves. So Chris grades his test, and he gives himself an F in the test in order to show Dr. Smith how humble he really was, how ethical he really was. We get done grading the test, and Dr. Smith says, okay, now you can take your test and put it away. Let's open up to Chapter 2. Well, Chris, being somewhat competitive and somewhat of a perfectionist himself, raises his hand and says, Dr. Smith, what what do you want us to do with the test? And he says, just put it away. And Chris raises his hands again and says, but Dr. Smith, how are you going to know what grade to give us? And Dr. Smith sighs heavily and looks at Chris and says, Okay, I know I'm not going to be able to go on until I deal with this. You must not understand that the test was never for you, for me, the test was for you. I don't care how you graded. I don't care what your grade was. This test was to help you know how you're doing in this, not me. And I want to suggest to you, that's kind of what grace is like. Grace no longer grades us based upon the law it grades us based upon how much grace we have received from God. And that's all it's about. If you've listened to me over these last weeks, you, you understand I'm not saying that grace means that you can live willy-nilly, lawlessly, any way you want. Grace actually means there's so much life of God working inside of you that you don't want to live that way anymore. And you know you can't change without His grace. And that's what this is about. And so when you're going along in your daily life and you perform badly, what you need is grace. And when you go along in your daily life and you actually perform well, it's all of grace. It's all grace and nothing less. I received for most of my life the law as a threat that meant that I was unacceptable. Now, I want to live my life recognizing the law as a promise from God That my character is going to be lived in you. And by the way, for those of you that are biblically minded, that's really a scripture where God says, I am forming my image in you. He says, I'm going to conform you to the image of the Son whom he loves in Romans chapter 8. That's what it's about. Conformed to his image. So, his grace is greater than my sin. It's greater than my failure. It's greater than my inability. And he causes all grace to abound so the law drives us to a savior and keeps us there we should never get beyond our need for jesus and then the law is a mirror showing us that his grace really is changing us we're not the way we used to be we're not the way we want to be yet but we're not the way we used to be so i want to ask you these couple questions as i'm closing just a couple of questions for you to consider throughout this week Where is your identity? And I'm asking you, where is your identity? Do you find that you put a lot of stock in how much money you make, or your position at work, your title, your performance, in other words? Where is your identity? Or maybe another way, that is a little bit more practical for you. Where are you seeking your happiness and fulfillment in life? This Christmas season, one of the one of the things I love about this season is that almost anywhere you go, there's Christian music playing. Turn it on in your car; it's there. You go into Walmart; it's there. You go into Tops; it's there. You go into Buds; it's there. I love the fact that there's good Christmas Christian music playing. Well, I walked into Tops uh, the other day, uh, yesterday I think it was. I think it was Tops. If it wasn't Tops, it was Walmart, one or the other. Um, And I walked in, and what I heard was these words. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a Savior is born in the city of David, Christ the Lord. Well, grace is all about a savior. You need a savior, and I need a savior. The law isn't thrown away. The law reflects back, but it also continually brings us to a point of, I need to be more like him. I want to be more like him. Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment. Those two questions. Where's your identity? What are you seeking for meaning and happiness in life? Where do you go for that? Is it in your relationships with people? They make you feel special, so you must be special? Or what happens when they're having a bad day and they don't make you feel so special? or when they fail you? Is it in your performance, your work? Where are you seeking happiness and meaning for life? For unto us is born this day, in the city of David, a savior, Christ the Lord. Father, I pray that beyond my words, and the ability that I have to espouse that which you give to me. Beyond that, I pray for your Holy Spirit to begin to do a work in hearts where we begin to be changed from the inside out till we look more and more like Jesus so that those around us, as they said to the early disciples, it says they took note that they had been with Jesus. Lord, make us more like you. Not because we have to or because we're afraid. Not because we know that if we do that, then we somehow are more acceptable. But just because we want to be like you. Our God and Savior. Work that into the fiber of our being. Help our security to be in our relationship with you. Nothing less, nothing more secure in our God. And now, Father, uh, as I'm closing, I think about all of the different ones who are missing today, often because of sickness or concerns about sickness. I pray for your healing touch, Lord. I know that we hear constantly, day by day, more and more information. The numbers are going up, new variants, all that kind of stuff. But Lord, we're praying for healing in Jesus' name. Health, and protection, life in each body. Lord, years ago, we used to sing, Jesus, your name is life. Well, Let that life flow into us, I pray. In the name of Christ, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.